Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Please consult your physician before ingesting. My name is Dar McDonald. I am the host of this podcast and I write for MLB Trade Rumors. With me this week is my colleague, Anthony Franco. How's it going, Anthony? I'm doing well, Dar. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. The hot stove, taking a long time to get warmed up. We've all noticed this is a little gradual glacial softening of the uh, frozen offseason. It took a couple weeks, but we finally, this week, got a big name off the board, which was Aaron Nola returning to Philadelphia for seven more years. How did this strike you, Anthony? Uh, I would say I was maybe moderately surprised to get to seven. Uh, We had him at six, 150. I think I was probably the highest out of us on NOLA and still thought it would probably end up around six and maybe a little bit below Carlos Verdon money. But I'm not stunned by it or anything. I mean, NOLA is a picture of durability and the strikeout and walk numbers are still very good, even if the strikeout rate ticked down a little bit last year. Um, And the Phillies have never been afraid to to act boldly. And so it seems like he's been there for his entire career. He wanted to get this done. The Phillies wanted to get this done. And eventually they both moved around $20 million or so off of where they were, had seemed to uh, have started negotiations and everybody's happy. So the Philly rotation is looking pretty good right now. I mean, it's back to where it was a year ago. So you got Wheeler and uh, Nola up top. You got your Ranger Suarez. You got Christopher Sanchez had a nice breakout in 2023. So he seems like he's going to be in there. Taiwan Walker, perfectly fine. If that's your fourth or fifth guy, that's a great position to be in. And it seems because, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago when the news came out that Bryce Harper is going to be sticking at first base, Dombrowski said they were pretty much set in terms of position players because, you know, you got Harper at first and to replace Hoskins. And then, you know, they have the outfield without Harper still of uh, Castellanos and Marsh and Rojas and Pache. So are the Phillies done? I think they could still use some bullpen help. Maybe. I mean, Kimbrell's a free agent now. He's probably not coming back after the way he pitched in the playoffs. And it, They've sort of signaled that they don't see the need for a, a designated ninth inning closer anyways. Um, I would like it a little bit better if they had one more kind of medium to high leverage reliever just to guard against some potential regression after, you know, from Jeff Hoffman after his breakout season or Jose Alvarado said some injury issues. He's a very good pitcher when healthy, but hasn't always been healthy. So I think that adding a reliever is probably uh, where I would see them going next. Right. So the to-do list significantly smaller now with the uh, Nola in the fold. And then for the pitching market, uh, I mean, this wasn't like a stunner. Like you said, we had him at six. He got to seven. So it was slightly on the good side for the players if you were looking to try to, like, you know, interpret this in some way. So, again, only slight. But I guess if you're, you know, Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery trying to find your next contract, the fact that... Nola got a pretty healthy deal, even though he had, you know, an ERA over four in two of the last three years. That's got to be, you know, somewhat encouraging. Yeah, I think it's a nice boost for those guys. I'm, I'm actually curious. So when we started, uh, or sorry, when we, we, when we made the top fifty, we had Nola and Montgomery both at six one fifty. We put Nola kind of symbolically ahead, I think, in the top fifty, but they were, you know, we projected them for the exact same contract. 
Um, would you say that with Nola coming in above that now, do you think that also signifies that Montgomery is going to come in above that? Or do you think that the market just prefers Nola in a way that we probably didn't see coming? I would I would think that it bodes well for Montgomery would be my take on it because Nola, there's so many teams that need lots of pitching and you know, Heyman, John Heyman of the New York Post has been talking this week about how there's eight teams that are looking for two starters. And we've known for a long time that like the Cardinals are looking for two or three starters and Nola was one of them. And so there's a lot of people with starters on their to-do list. And this in this case, Nola just went back to the team that he came from. So all of those teams are still still have those gaps. They still have that big to-do list. So I think basically just Everything that I'm hearing from the people who are uh, watching this stuff is that there are a lot of starters available, but also the demand is so high that they're all going to do well. Um, and Montgomery, uh, compared to Nola, I mean, it's a different skill set in terms of like, you know, Nola had the larger body of work and uh, the most recent results weren't as impressive, but Montgomery doesn't have a qualifying offer attached. So that's going to appeal to some club, you know, who doesn't want to give up draft picks. So I still think he's going to do well for himself. Uh, what do you think? Do you, do you, would you move Montgomery up or down today? Do you think? I think I would nudge him a little above where we had him. Um, but I don't think that I would go as high as 172. Like, I, I just think that Nola's probably going to come in with the better deal, but Montgomery will probably also beat 150 at this point. Seven years is rare for a starting pitcher. Like before Nola was what, like David Price and Steven Strasburg were the two in like the last you know decade plus, something like that? Yeah, that sounds right. It's It's been a while. Or Gary um, Cole, of course. I mean, Gary, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I wonder if this will just sort of be, a, this is thing that we talked about uh, with the position players a lot when we were putting the top 50 is that we just stretched a lot of the deals um, because last year there were a lot more longer term contracts as teams tried to diminish the average annual value. So I wonder if that seven year ceiling for pitchers will hold yeah i mean if bogarts and turner are getting 11 years and whatever you know maybe there's greater willingness to go to seven on a guy that would not have got it a couple of years ago right but yeah i think you're right that the demand for starting pitching is just is huge we're doing like a series for front office subscribers where we look at kind of the best fits for a lot of the top free agents and i did one on montgomery this week and there were like eight or nine teams that I had as tier one. Like, yeah, I could totally see this happening. And then another, I mean, almost upwards of half the league uh, fit into the sort of like, yeah, it's, I wouldn't be stunned. It's probably a reach, but uh, it's viable. So just everybody needs starting pitching. And that's kind of been the, the theme of the offseason so far is all these executives going out there and they're like, what what's on the to-do list this offseason? And they basically all say starting pitching. So it seems like it bodes well for those guys. It does indeed. So uh, one of our top 50 free agents is off the board in NOLA, and a second one also came off this week. Reynaldo Lopez went to Atlanta, three years, 30 million. We'll get, there's some weird details on this one, but initially uh, this one hit our prediction right on, I believe. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a Tim Darkus pick. I, I got to give him credit. Tim nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Tim was a big Lopez guy. I I was the high one on Nola among us. I was the low one on Lopez. When when we were doing the deliberations, I wanted him at like two for fifteen. Uh, and Tim was like, "No, this guy's getting three years, and I think he's better than basically every reliever in this class, aside from Hater and and maybe Robert Stevenson." What I don't think Tim nailed was the idea that Lopez might be stretched back out into a starting pitcher. 
um, mm-hmm. which that was surprising to me. Was that uh, something you had all even considered as a possibility before it was reported that that was what the Braves were considering? No, no, not at all. I did. I did not because I mean, he was, so, I'm a, I don't want to say bad, but he was like kind of just like middling as a starter. Uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but because uh, I think Steve wrote it up the deal yesterday. And they talked about how Atlanta was considering stretching him out. And I think he has like an ERA of like, I don't know, 4.6 as a starter, something like that. But since he moved to the bullpen, it's been like half that essentially. And so it just seemed like it was obvious that like once this guy moved to the bullpen, he unlocked a new gear and that's the right place for him. And so that was not on my radar at all. Did you, did you uh, I'm assuming you're in the same camp because we did not discuss that at any point this offseason. <laughs> yeah, I, I would feel a lot better about it if the Braves add another starter, uh, you know, go get Michael Walker or Seth Lugo, somebody like that and keep Lopez in the bullpen. I, I just don't think when Lopez was a starter early in his career, the velocity was good, but it wasn't the upper nineties heat that has made him so appealing now. And the command is still not very good. Even as a reliever, he had gotten a little bit better in his initial uh, move to the bullpen at throwing strikes. And that kind of backed up this year. So to me, I would rather just keep this guy in relief, but I guess it doesn't hurt to have him prepare this offseason on the off chance that you need him as a starter, but I would hope that Atlanta goes and gets a, a legitimate starter and just throws Lopez into what would be an absurdly deep bullpen. Yeah, I mean, if he's your number six and you just hope that you don't need him in that role, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I mean, uh, they got Strider freed uh, up top. Morton's going to be in there somewhere. Bryce Elder. So, yeah, definitely there's room for somebody that's not Lopez in there to improve that rotation. But positive signs, if you're a hot stove watcher, it has been pretty slow so far. But, you know, we got Nola off the board, Reynaldo Lopez off the board. There have been some reports that Shohei Otani might not take that much time to make his decision. Plus, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was posted this week. So, dominoes are starting to fall. Um... Another signing, not from our top 50, but another signing that happened this week, Lance Lynn is going back to St. Louis. Uh, They obviously have needed starting pitching. I feel like some fans probably, this is not what they had in mind, though, Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be super excited about it if I were a Cardinal fan. It's fine. Um, They need multiple starters. Presumably, Lance Lynn is not going to be the best or even the second best one that they get. Now, if they come away and they're like, Lynn was the second best starter we added this offseason, that would be much more disappointing to me. But ultimately, they needed to add three starting pitchers. And if they get two very good ones, then Lance Lynn to kind of fill out the back of the rotation, then it doesn't really matter in what order they brought them in. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting reclamation project because Lynn obviously has had many good years in his career. 2023 was not one of them. 44 home runs, I think, he let up. And then four more. Was it four more in the playoffs or was it three more? Yeah, I think it was all in one inning. It was either three or four. It was just, (laughs) oh, it was just, what a season. It's so frustrating for him. Um, But he's still getting strikeouts, you know? So, uh, you know, maybe if there's, maybe there's some like slight tweak that the Cardinals think they can make and get him back on track. But yeah, you're right. Like when you need, when your demand for your rotation is that high where you need three arms, like they're not, you're not going to go out and get three aces. You need somebody who's just like, you know, there to take the ball and choose some innings, which Lance uh, Lynn certainly is. So we'll see for that's one piece for them. 
presumably more pieces to come. Uh, so guys are signing, but also there's some new free agents this week. It was the non-tender deadline last week. So some guys got non-tendered. We got some new free agents on the market. Probably the most interesting one, I would say, is Brandon Woodruff. Uh, were you surprised that it kind of came to this, Anthony? No, I, I kind of assumed that they would end up non-tendering him once the revelation that he would miss most of the season uh, because of the shoulder surgery. You know, it's it seemed like they were trying to shop him, and there were reports that they talked about a two-year deal, but it just never seemed like it made a lot of sense for Milwaukee to agree to the kind of price point that somebody else probably will for Woodruff just because they're a smaller market franchise to begin with. And Woodruff had, I don't want to say like a lot of leverage because being non-tendered is not a good thing, but he always had this sort of fallback that like, okay, if if you don't meet an asking price that I want on a two-year deal and you just cut me loose, somebody else probably will. So I'm not super surprised even as it's obviously a disappointing outcome for everyone involved. Yeah, the Brewers, uh, it's such a tricky spot for them. They Because even before this injury revelation, you know, all the whispers were about they're going to have to make some trades, make some tough cuts with uh, Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas all getting to their final arbitration season at the same time and getting into eight-figure territory. That uh, there was an assumption that they're going to have to move on from somebody. And it seems like this injury made that decision for them a little bit. Uh, whether they still will consider moving Burns or Adamas, who knows. But um, yeah, it's disappointing for them. He had a good run in Milwaukee, and now it seems like his next start will come in a different uniform. So that'll be an interesting long-term play for somebody who will presumably sign Woodruff to some kind of two-year deal. Um, anybody else strike you as an interesting non-tender? I could throw out some names, but do you have one off the top of your head? I mean, I'm, I guess I would say I'm a little surprised that Spencer Turnbull got non-tendered. Um, it seemed like the relationship with the Tigers was over, but I did think that at a projected salary that was like in the 2 to $3 million range that they would probably be able to find a, a trade partner there, um, and that didn't happen. I do think that he'll land a major league deal and he should get a rotation spot with some sort of probably a non-competitive team, maybe in Oakland or Colorado, just somebody that can afford to roll the dice in a bounce back, but he's probably the most interesting beyond what earth of, of the guys that cut loose. Yeah, well, do you think, uh, do you, uh, I don't know uh, how the like grievance process works between the players and the league, because it came out uh, just yesterday that Turnbull was awarded a full year of service for 2023. There was this weird dispute where the Tigers a couple different times tried optioning him to the minors because his first seven starts last year were terrible. He had an ERA over seven or something. And so they tried optioning him, and then the first time he was like, oh, I have uh, a neck injury, and they sent him to see some doctors, and were like, yes, okay, you have a neck injury, so we rescind the option, put you on the injured list instead, and then he they activated him from the injured list in August and optioned him a second time, and he was like, oh, I have a cracked toenail on my foot, and they didn't rescind that option at the time, but it has come out this week that they retroactively have rescinded it. So he got a full year of service. So now he's going to be anybody who signs him now only gets it before 2024, whereas before he would have had an extra arbitration year. So do you think teams were aware that this was going on when discussing trades? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they knew that the grievance was happening. I, I don't know that teams knew that it would 
play out the way it did. Um, I also, I, I want to be careful because I don't, I'm with you in that we don't know exactly what played out behind the scenes, but I did think it was interesting that Turnbull's statement on it, which was pretty brief, basically just said that um, the Tigers have now agreed to reverse the option, essentially. And so it's not clear that it ever even made it to any sort of hearing, um, which is interesting because like the Tigers got rid of him and they're not going to bring him back. So it's largely immaterial to them, I think, whether he gets the extra year of service time because he's not on the team anymore. So that part of it was interesting. But, you know, I, I'm sure that's uh, that whole situation is a complicating factor for his trade candidacy. And at the very least, it made it so that other teams knew that Detroit wasn't operating with much leverage if they were trying to trade him. Right. Well, yes, he uh, has had, uh, you know, 2023 was a rough season for him, but uh, he's had some good results in the past. So, yeah, he could definitely be intriguing. You know, as we talked about this massive, massive demand for starting pitching. So that should help him out. Um, One that I am interested in, I mean, I know that the market doesn't value uh, bat only uh, first base type guys very much, but... Rowdy Telez had such like a wild swing between his 2022 and 2023 seasons. In 2022, he hit 35 home runs, above average walk rate, like better than average strikeout rate. And then just, I mean, he still walked in 2023, but only 13 home runs. He struck out too much. And so he got himself non-tendered. You know, is this like a Chris Carter situation where the fact that you can hit 30, 40 home runs doesn't matter if the other parts of your game uh don't uh, come to the fore. Yeah. I mean, I think we see this, like you said, um, almost every off season with a first baseman or two um, where it's just the arbitration process doesn't seem like it has a great way of valuing the kind of defense of a limited slugger because arbitration, it weighs defense, but it doesn't factor it. I think as heavily as teams do. And it rewards a lot of the gaudy conning stats that tend to be put up by guys towards the bottom of the defensive spectrum in a way the teams don't seem to value quite as much. And so we do see good hitting first baseman, but not elite hitting first baseman who run projected salaries like in the five to six, $7 million range because they've hit a lot of home runs in their careers. And just that's a price that a lot of teams, especially smaller market ones like Milwaukee tend not to want to meet. So I think that, uh, you know, I don't I don't know that it needs to be any sort of overhaul with the system, but it is Telez is that kind of player that arbitration in some ways overvalues, but then sort of paradoxically hurts because it overvalues him. Right. So it's put him in this situation where he has been cut loose. But, you know, if you're an interested team and you want a guy who can a uh, left-handed hitter, 30 to 40 home runs, he's just sitting there and you could probably have him for, I don't know, like five million dollars something like that so that'll be an interesting buy low option for somebody out there but lots of new free agents we uh, rounded them all up on uh, mlbtraderumors.com you can find a list of all the people who are non-tenders a few dozen new free agents created last week Um, so check that out and also uh, while i'm at it check out uh, the front office package that we have because it's less than three dollars a month you get rid of the ads on the site and you get a whole bunch of bonus content that is not on the main site and it uh, helps us keep the lights on and keep doing things like this podcast and other MLBTradeRumors.com content. (laughs) 
so let's get to your questions. We put out a call for questions and got a whole bunch. People are excited and mad about the off season and let us know <laughs> with these questions. Everybody hates their manager, hates their general manager, hates their owner, hates the star player. Everyone is mad. One thing that people are also mad about is the pace of this off season, which we discussed. And so we have a question here about that from Brian. Why is the MLB offseason so slow to get going? The other leagues, most of the top free agents are off the board within a few days. It's been three weeks since players filed for free agency and nothing. I think he sent that question in maybe before NOLA signed, but still the point stands. The MLB offseason has a different pace than uh, basketball, hockey, football. I'm assuming. I don't really, I have to confess, I'm pretty ignorant of these other sports and how their offseasons work. Uh, I'm mostly a baseball guy. So, but Anthony, I think you... Uh, you're smarter than me in these departments. Can you enlighten Brian? <laughs> uh, well, I also don't know a ton about basketball, but um, I think the big difference with MLB is just that there's no salary cap uh, with baseball and those other leagues um, teams have a very specific idea of how much they can spend. And so there's a kind of limited window where everyone wants to lock in all their players because they're all spending around the same amount. Um, I think they all have salary floors as well. So um, you have like a, a very specific spending window that you have to hit as a team. And in MLB, you don't. So teams can go in and they can kind of slow play. And they realize that year over year, um, as the deeper you wait into the offseason, the prices tend to go down. Uh, like the players who linger into free agency into January and February, they tend not to have as much leverage because teams can afford to sort of wait it out and say, Hey, look, we, we just don't have the money for it. And so you're going to have to lower your asking price. And so those kind of late um, borderline spring training signings tend to come in below what I think both the player and what most outside observers expected. And so it just sort of behooves the teams to play it a little more slowly. Yeah. And I think uh, there isn't there something called a max deal in basketball. I'm going to sound like a real idiot bringing this up, but I think like, because there's like sort of a there's limits on how much a player can make beyond just the salary cap. I think an individual player can only make so much money. So then you're mostly like the player probably has a couple of like targets he's aware of. Like any of these teams would probably give me a max deal because I'm a star player. Whereas you know with somebody like uh, you know Aaron Nola who just signed, there was probably a bunch of teams interested, but they all had like different ideas of how far they were willing to go and so it takes more time to work that out as opposed to just talking to a couple of teams that are willing to give you this top deal yeah i i don't know about the basketball one but i know the nhl has i'm not sure if they have a max salary but they definitely have a max contract length where i think it's you can only sign for eight years if you're re-signing with your current team and i think it's seven if you sign somewhere else and obviously mlb doesn't have that kind of cap either so you know, it makes sense, I guess, that the players as well, if they go in, they're just like, hey, I want somebody to make the max offer. And then you get three or four teams that are willing to do that. And then you just pick which one you want to join. OK, another question here from Michael. Do you think the Dodgers do something major this year or will it be another disappointing offseason for the fans? A Dodgers fan that is disappointed, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, we were we were joking about this a little bit um, before we started recording, just because it does seem like there are a lot of teams that would kill to have the Dodgers offseason uh, most years. But I understand Michael's general point. They they tend to shy away from 
at least long-term deals. Um, and I, I do think that they'll probably take a bigger swing. I mean, obviously they're going to pursue Otani and, you know, they're, they're, I, I don't know if I would say the favorite on Otani, but they seem like at least the kind of plurality pick on him and they're going to add starting pitching. And it seems like they've generally preferred like shorter term, higher average annual value contracts um, for everybody, but especially for starting pitchers. And I do think that given how uncertain the rotation is at the moment with the Kershaw injury and it's very young and you got Walker Buehler coming off a second Tommy John, that they'll probably have to be more aggressive in in adding a starting pitcher, even if it requires going a little longer than the front office would find ideal. Yeah, I'm expecting a very aggressive offseason from the Dodgers. Uh, I mean, beyond just the fact that you know, it was like the 2023 campaign was sort of underwhelming by their standards, even though they still won the division and made the playoffs easily. Um, but they were bounced pretty quickly from the playoffs and everybody was hurt. So it never really felt like they were the powerhouse that they've been in the past. So I think they're going to be aggressive. Like you said, they have so many rotation question marks. And beyond that, they have so much money uh, because a bunch of contracts have come off the books they are roughly $80 million below the luxury tax right now. And I don't even think staying below the luxury tax is a goal for them off, uh, this offseason. So even if they do successfully land Otani, there's still money there to do other stuff. I pick them uh, in the top 50 to land Blake Snell, which is I am aware that it goes against their MO. Like you said, they prefer higher annual average value on a short-term deal as opposed to you know the seven or eight year deal that we think Blake Snell is going to require but I just think their need for pitching is so great and they have all this powder dry that I think they have to this is the time to make an exception and so I'm I'm expecting them to do something bold for the rotation so to Michael to your question I think that uh, yes I think that they are going to do a lot So we got a couple questions here about uh, the Pirates. So let's put these together. We got one from Nolan who says, do you think the Pirates sign Hoskins or settle for someone cheaper? And then Paul, similar question. He says, uh, uh, General Manager Ben Charrington recently said that the Bucks would be actively seeking either trading for or signing a free agent starting pitcher. And thus far, there hasn't been even a hint as to whom they are interested in. Plus, they need a first baseman and they have a glut of infielders. Have you heard anything? So what's your take on the Pirates right now, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, Hoskins makes sense. I have kind of assumed that they would go a little bit cheaper at first base. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, it depends, right? We put Hoskins at two years. If Hoskins takes one year, then I could see it a little bit more than if they were, than if he got two years in like the mid-30s or the low-40s with an opt-out. I, I don't think that makes a ton of sense for Pittsburgh, but um, I generally expected that they would maybe be a suitor for a non-tenor guy like Telez or a Brandon Belt type at first base, largely because of the need for a starting pitcher as well. Um, and it's just harder to find good starting pitching uh, that is willing to take five or $6 million. And so I kind of assumed that Pittsburgh would concentrate their, their resources there, but it's if they went after Hoskins and then took like a, a one-year flyer on Kyle Gibson or something for the rotation, I wouldn't be super surprised by that. Yeah, it's an interesting spot because, I mean, obviously, nobody's expecting the Pirates to come out and, uh, you know, sign a, 
any of the top free agents, but I feel like a little bit more aggression than last offseason would be justified because they at least showed some signs of life in 2023, even with O'Neill Cruz being out for essentially the whole season. They still, they had like a really strong start and then they faded and hovered around 500 for a lot of the year. So you could make an argument that it's time to put a couple extra chips on the table. Last offseason, we saw them settle for, you know, they gave Rich Hill a one-year deal, uh, $8 million. Carlos Santana got one year and just under $7 million. McCutcheon got five. They're probably going to bring McCutcheon back. But those, like, you know, those signings that they made last year of, like, Rich Hill and Carlos Santana, like, it feels like going a little bit beyond that to, you know, try to build off some of that positive momentum that they had in 2023 would be justified. So I could see Hoskins being the, like, Carlos Santana plus guy. I would hope they could do better than Kyle Gibson for the rotation, but also Kyle Gibson, I don't know, maybe he's underrated. But um, yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, I don't want to get Pirates fans hopes up too much, uh, but I don't think Hoskins is outlandish. What do you think is the realistic ceiling for this team next year? Like if they got, I guess you could take it either way. If they got Hoskins and a, a mid-level starter, or if they got a mid-level first baseman and signed went a little bit above and signed a, a Lugo or something for the rotation. You know, I mean, the central still seems not great. The Reds have concerns about their starting pitching. The Brewers could take a step back. I mean, at the very least, they lost Woodruff. The Cardinals, who knows? The Cubs potentially losing Bellinger. Do you think there's a, a path for Pittsburgh if they, you know, again, uh, not going crazy this offseason, but if they do a little bit more than they've done in recent years, do you think that there's a way that they could contend in the central? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I don't think that like a, a a Diamondbacks type season is completely ludicrous here. They won 76 games in 2023. Like I said, without O'Neill Cruz, who, you know, is not a perfect player, but, uh, you know, he's a very dynamic young player who, who knows if he was healthy, maybe they would have been in the low 70s or sorry, high 70s, low 80s. And Arizona made the playoffs this past season with just 84 wins. Like, you know, you can sneak into the playoffs by just being a bit above 500 under the current format. And so getting from getting Pittsburgh from 76 wins to 84 wins is not a huge leap because you got Cruz being healthy. You know, if you get uh, extra development from, you know, the guys that they've started to graduate to the majors, like uh, Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis, if any of their pitchers are slightly better than we saw in 2023, you know, I, I feel like a couple incremental movements can get you from that, you know, sort of afterthought territory to a legitimate playoff contender. Yeah, I'm a, a little lower on them, I think, than you are. I just I have more concerns about the rotation. I, I don't like they have a lot of options at second base, but I'm not convinced that any of them are good. But again, like like you said, it's. There's not a huge gap, I don't think, between them and a Miami or an Arizona. Um, and so it's, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I would say they're probably more of a, like, if they do a couple things this offseason, maybe they're a bubble wildcard team as opposed to a legitimate division contender. But, you know, who knows? Okay, well, that's all the time we have for this week. Like I said earlier, the hot stove is starting to heat up. It's not going crazy, but cracks are starting to appear in the ice and 
who knows? Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, November 21st. So Thanksgiving is just coming up. So maybe some teams will try to squeeze some deals in just before the break. And then after that, you know, the winter meetings are coming up in the first week of December. So things are starting to line up for some activity. So stay tuned to MLBTradeRumors.com for all of that. Like I said, sign up for that front office package. Give us a little taste of something so that we can keep going. Uh, and plus, it's good for you. You get the ads off the site. You can, get, can use the contract tracker, which is an amazing tool. And you get extra stuff in your email. But if you want to just stick with the podcast, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to visit MLBTradeRumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLBTradeRumors.com. 